We've talked about this, Aaron. I shoot more than naked people. In my mind, you only shoot naked people. The other thing he shoots is horses without saddles. <laughs> is it a sex thing? Unbridled. <laughs> is that what you mean? If something happened to you, would Comanche avenge your death? <laughs> he wouldn't give a fuck. Yeah, he'd probably be happier. <laughs> Somebody might love him. Oh. <laughs> This is the Dark Side Records and Gallery Podcast. Yeah, we were uh, waylaid in the... I had to feed a baby. We were waylaid by two little bundles of <laughs> joy. Farting. Bundles of farting. Liquid shits. And, yeah, gas. And... So I made the comment earlier that, uh, and I don't know if this was offensive or not, but I said that uh, newborn babies kind of look like hot dogs with loose casings on them. Don't worry, I tweeted it. Especially... <laughs> it's been tweeted, yeah. Especially like their legs. They're just kind of... They're kind of hot dog esque, but you know, still like squishy and stretchy. Like there's some room in there. Yeah. Well, okay. Me, Makes sense. Let me just mm-hmm. give you the uh, the exact quote. You should be on the mic. Why aren't you on the mic saying these? I, I don't need to be on the mic. I feel like I'm holding an oversized hot dog. The casing is just a little loose, is what you said. Mm-hmm. Hashtag overheard at Darkside Podcast. Perfect. Hashtag time. baby holding. Hashtag who's the daddy. <laughs> hashtag hello. Hashtag is it me you're looking for? Uh, Do you hear this rumor that? Um, Lionel Richie only listens to his own music. Never heard that. Never heard that. Before. You never heard that. Like Prince, is that what you just said? Yeah. Somebody told me that many years ago. I don't know if there's any credibility to that. I suppose I could use some sort of searchable engine. Probably. I'm that, sure that if Lionel Richie listens to only his own music, you'll just find that on his website. <laughs> do, do not send submissions. Lionel Richie only listens to his own music. <laughs> well, maybe he purchases songs from people. Then does he still consider that his own music? No. I guess he probably does the selling. He doesn't really buy that many songs from other people. No, I bet he buys from other... I, I, I bet producers are writing them for him. I feel like it's got to be the other way around. Like, he's the writer for producers. You think Lionel Richie wrote Hello? Are we I do. really? I, re- I, I do think he wrote hello. Well, are we really talking about Lionel Richie right now? Yeah, we are. Was this a turning point for you, <laughs> Lionel Richie? <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, welcome to the Dark Side Records and Gallery podcast, episode five and a half. And Happy New Year. This is our first podcast of 2015. Correct. Happy New Year. Happy, Merry Holidays, whatever it is you did over the brutally cold winter break. We're back. I'm JB. Hi, JB. <laughs> I'm Berto. Uh, I'm JJ, and apparently Lionel Richie did write hello. Of course he did. I don't know why you would Who even are you, that. man in the I'm corner? sorry I lost faith in you, Lionel. <laughs> and I'm Lionel. I'm Lionel Richie. <laughs> and I'm Lionel Hello. Richie. Was it me you were looking for? <laughs> the yep. real question is, how many times do you think that people, someone will come and talk to him and then they'll get to a part where he has to say hello and they just kind of like look at him expectingly and he's like, I'm not, I'm not fucking saying it. Fuck you for coming in my house. Get out. Probably. The same way like actors get approached to like quote lines from movies they're in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Harrison Ford doesn't like doing Han Solo lines. He gets irritated. Exactly. He just what? punches people and says, get off my plane. No, people, people like have like <laughs> no gone up ticket. to him and they ask him, like, hey, who shot first, like Han or Greedo? And he's like, I don't give a shit. No. All right. So this is episode five. Um, the Phantom Menace. For people who've been paying attention, we've already mentioned what the topic of this week is going to be. By this week, I mean this episode. I guess I wasn't paying attention. You weren't. No, no. He, I think he means in 
past podcast. Oh, yes, yeah, in pod in pod past cast. In pod past cast, yeah. yeah. we've talked about this, but uh, right. this episode, our topic is music. Speaking of our topic is music. Okay, that's is great. <laughs> music that has changed your life. Autobiographical turning points. Fancy word. Meaning like songs that we wrote that change our lives when they're autobiographical? Well, I wrote Hello. So <laughs> what did you guys do? I believe that changed all of your lives. Justin actually did a really great piece in this uh, in the chronogram. Did you uh, guys read that? I read that. Justin read did that. a really great piece in there kind of talking about that, what, what, um, the year that was and the year that it will was really, be. It was Willie. Yeah, it was, it was well, Willie. It was Willie. It was Willie. 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 Oh, Willie. You guys. <laughs> It was uh, it was nice. Thanks, by the way, for throwing a little nod to Dead Empires in there. You're good, welcome, Justin. Yeah, did a good job. I, I know you're really looking forward to that Blind Guardian yep, album. I, so I, did, I didn't notice that specifically. <laughs> yep. So it's gonna be good. Beyond the Red Mirror. That's what I keep hearing. Yeah, it's gonna be really good. <laughs> buzz <laughs> the, is afoot. Oh, the buzz. The, I've got, no, I've actually gotten emails. You've gotten emails from labels, but you know, <laughs> but that still counts from Red. Red and yeah, nuclear blast. Is Beyond the Red right. Mirror code for period sex? Probably. Okay. Mm. Blind Guardian's uh, got their P-Wings. Now, Blind Guardian, in case you guys didn't know, is uh, the, uh, uh, the leading power metal band. Uh, they do symphonic power metal, and they've done albums specifically about Lord of the Rings. They had an album called Nightfall in Middle Earth, which is actually about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, Birdo is in. Not I can, necessarily okay. true. I can is hear it? Aaron so clearly. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> Aaron is on the podcast now. Welcome back, Aaron, to the podcast. She's really, not even, you're like 40 feet away. Yeah, but. she's not even in the same route. <laughs> so anyway, so the Blind Guardian album is going to be good, but not as good as the Chadwick Stokes album, The Horse Comanche. He didn't believe me that that was actually the title. I totally missed that part in our yep, chat. I know. Chat. And now, but I'm really excited for it now. I'm stoked about it. Uh, what band is he in? He's from Dispatch, Dispatch and State Radio. Oh, right. right. I fucking, I've asked that like a hundred times. So anyway, we're going to talk about uh, bands, albums that changed our musical lives, right? That that altered or became significant in our in our musical path. Yeah. That, that basically the premise of what we're doing here. I'm going off the cuff, too. Wow. I've, I've put a I've little thought a about this. List. Yeah. I have a rough list in my... I mean, I have, I have very distinct changes in my life for music, so it was very easy for me to isolate those. So is everybody going chronological in their life? I, I am going to go chronological. I think, I think easier, so, too. Easier to keep track, I think. Yeah. So I guess we should start with your musical awakening. Can I ask a, uh, can I ask a, a quick lead-in question? Mm. Did anyone go through a, after ska was really big, did anyone go through a big band, you know, swing Squirrel nut zippers. Phase. I had a yeah. Brian Setzer well, CD. I don't know if I was. Did you ever wear a suit? I never wore like suit. dance right. and no. throw someone up over your head and dip them under your legs. Do swing dance? Right? I, did, I spin them around. did know some swing dance moves, but I never. You probably did it probably in the uh, the play in. Uh, did Scrooge do any swing dancing? <laughs> he took Tiny Tim. Uh, he was like Tiny Tim. It's no, Christmas Day. I, it's I only ever did one musical, and I wasn't required to dance for it. So, I never but you had to sing. What musical was it? I don't remember. Uh, bye bye, Birdie. Really? Yeah. With Libby. Yeah. Hmm. G. Gordon Liddy was in it? Yeah, G. Gordon <laughs> oh, Liddy was in shit. it. shit. He was hiding out. Berto is a, a talented uh, thespian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a, kind I of was. a butch thespian. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, but I did go through a Squirrel Nut Zippers Cherry Pop and Daddy's phase for like probably a month because I thought it was it was just off the beaten path and it was really really fun. But that was also while I was in my Mighty Mighty Boston's phase. And then you learned what Cherry Pop and Daddy's meant. No, I just they they did they release another album after that one? I know the Squirrel Nut Zippers did, and I know the lead singer. Well, right when I started working with you guys, I remember Aaron saying that the lead singer of the Cherry of the Squirrel Nut Zippers was releasing a solo album. Um, I don't know if that ever came out. I don't know who mm. would pay him to put that out. It's more than we remember. Squirrel mm-hmm. Nut Zippers, Zippers. I think I owned... Um, Throw back a bottle of beer? I owned a real big fish album at some point. That's just Ooh. as bad. Well, yeah, see, that song yeah. sell out. I feel like those were the lead-ins to the swing revival. Like, it was, it was as like, far as I went. It was like ska got really big, and then, like, you know, the punk... Like, punk ska got really pretty fucking big, yeah. you know. Well, And then uh, swing, like, took over, came out of that. Well, okay. Well, if we're going to discuss this, let's go for a minute here. Where Ska got huge, mm-hmm. uh, like the Mighty Mighty Bostones when uh, Let's yeah. Face It came out, the impression that I get was like a number one hit across yeah. the country. Uh, but it always made me wonder, and I, I don't know if I've asked you guys this, but <sighs> they had a guy in the band, like in the videos and live, who would just dance. So when they went into the studio to record, do you think they put him in the booth and gave him like the final mix and just like had him dance like okay man you got to nail this on the first take and he'd go in there and bust a move like not enough energy man we're gonna need you to do it again <laughs> they like record him dancing I, I think they mic'd him like I feel like they full on you know there's like mic set up they want like the clothes yeah, just to make, make, right. and things make him feel involved yeah right because I assume he was the guy like the friend that couldn't play any instruments. When I had my first band, I had a friend who volunteered to be that guy to just come to all of our <laughs> all of our practices and chose to just dance in the corner. What was your first band's name? My first band yeah. was called Troubled Past. Troubled Past. Mm. Troubled Past. Mm. Uh, Were you living in a group home at the time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was. I had a uh, I had a um, a roommate named Buddy. <laughs> Talking about the Boston's, that was also something uh, I remember hearing about Slipknot. Which is that... Now, wait a second. I know where you're going with this, which is why they have five drummers, including the guy who bangs the trash cans. Right, but what I heard was that uh, there's like the five core members, the two guitar players, the bass player, the drummer, and the singer, who are actually the contracted musicians. And everybody else plays other roles. They let them be on the record, but they're not... See, I don't don't think that's true. The contract held something where they were like held in, in different roles. I wonder if that's true, but I doubt it. But that does remind me. Do you remember? Do you remember the cartoon Doug? Of course, Doug, yeah. Doug Funny, and he started Doug's big band, and mm-hmm. the only thing anyone could play was drums. So he ended up in a band with five different drummers. That's amazing. It's banging Slipknot. on a trash can, drumming on a streetlight, strumming on my banjo. One little voice is calling, calling me, me, calling me, calling me. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Doug um, had some great music. Do you remember the beats? I mean, Killer yeah. Tofu, IU, yeah. Killer Tofu. I need more allowance. Yodelay he who. I don't remember any now, of this. Did it ever strike you? you know, I always hey, pick Doug. up this resemblance. <laughs> That the beats when they were on when the band was on the show uh-huh. looked a lot like Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> and the green bald guy, no, I never... and the chick with the pink hair, and there was an Asian guy. You know what? Now that you're saying that, I I do kind of agree. But and I'm pretty sure the he wore like a black T-shirt with something. It was like a star or something. That was big era for Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Really? That was peak. I need more the 90s. allowance. Yodelay-hoo. I need more allowance. Why? Because I do. Wow, the beat. <laughs> we should start a band called The Beats and it's been get sued. Oh, really? It's been done. As I, <laughs> you, as you I just learned five seconds ago, it's been done. You have a band called The Beats? A side band? <laughs> it's me and this guy, Doug. Beat Empires. Uh, All right, so uh, so who wants to, to... How do we want to start this off? Who wants to go first? 
I think we should just go start around with the, the musical awakening. awakenings. Awakenings, yeah, I would agree. Okay. Now, your musical awakening being what got you into music in the first place? I'd say so, or at least one of the first things that you, you remember, like, being like, See, yeah, oh, my, yeah. My first one is, like, yeah, I think the... F- the first album on my list, I would say, was uh, Billy Joel's Piano Man. That was your musical awakening? That's what like, you were like, oh, like when, fifth grade. I was going to say, when did you get it? It was fifth grade. And I had like other kind of random CDs at that point. I listened to the radio you know, in the car with my mom or dad or whatever. But uh, I'd say Billy Joel was the first rock artist I f- followed, starting with that album. And you know, made a point to go out and like, oh, hey... Let me see what other Billy Joel shit I can buy. Were you living on Long Island at the time? <laughs> I was not living on Long Island at the time. Where I have we never live? lived on Long Island. More were you in a New York state of mind? <laughs> I probably you, was. You know what? Was, That's a matter of trust, okay? <laughs> to be fair, were you I, I didn't in Cold start the fire. Harbor? <laughs> no, he was living in glass houses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because it, it is Billy Joel remains a. Uh, I don't say guilty pleasure. I don't listen to him regularly, like he's behind an, closed doors. He's an American but institution. One day, uh, Justin came into the store, and I was listening to just this horrible '80s Joel album. One day, yeah, like a lot. <laughs> was, that's yeah, there was a like lot a two-day period. No, that's happened a lot of times since I've been there. Yeah, okay. every now and then there was like, one I'm day. Get some '80s Joel, <clears throat> your Horatio. You know what's funny? Our first friendship encounter. We met at that concert at Spec. We went separately. I can't remember what it was. Weezer and a bunch of other people. And I brought you a pie from Stewart's. Wait, one of no, those no, little no. single serve pies? Yeah. Oh my god! Like those are so, oh, oh, those are so about, um, good. Big day out, Green Day, and Blank. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a lot of details that you're remembering. Yeah, and none of which I was, pertaining. To I was carrying concert. around a, a pie for you, and I kept feeling Horatio because you looked like Horatio I did. Sands. I as a like young Horatio man. Sands. And mm. Horatio Sands went on to play an '80s Joel cover band singer in Step Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. Young Horatio Sands, a young Julio Iglesias. What'd you say, Aaron? I have an unrelated question. Shoot. Why are you bringing him a pie the first time you hang out? Uh, it wasn't the first time we hung out, but it was. I, there was something about the pie. I don't remember. I will share this pie um, with you. We the, will. The be moral friends. of the story is that my <laughs> lifelong friendship can be purchased with a pie. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a good a ninety-nine cent pie from Stewart's. <laughs> cheap ass pie. All right, so cheap friendship. Got it. <laughs> See, anyway, so I, I have like this kind of closeted wealth of knowledge about Billy Joel stuff. Oh my god! Because some guy came into the store and was like, "What album's this song on?" And I was like, "Oh, it's on uh, Stormfront." Just kind of randomly out of my ass, like from across the room, I heard. And then this he guy punched you in the for. face. And then they punched me in the face and he cried. I cried. <laughs> Stormfront killed my father. So anyway, that that is my my guilty pleasure musical awakening right there. And that was that was like fifth grade for you. Fifth, yeah, fifth grade to like yeah, fifth sixth grade. Because I was gonna say, I feel like that's the period still where like you like. You're just still fucking stupid about things. People oh, like yeah. you basically just listen to like what your parents give you, you know, like what they right. let you listen to, or I guess that what would some be the first older time cousin gives you. Someone gave me Piano Man, the CD, and I went on to buy more Billy Joel CDs. And I actually had like my best friend in fifth grade was also into Billy Joel, and <laughs> so we <laughs> we were friends. We were the only two fucking kids in the school who were into Billy Joel. We got beat up a lot. Well, how old are you in fifth grade? Uh, 11. 11. 10 or 11. Really? 10 or 11? Yeah. Like, I had my own musical taste by the time I was like 
and they were bad. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get okay. to that. We're yeah. we're gonna get to this. You don't have any. When you're seven, you're like, oh, fucking Smurfs are the greatest thing ever. That's not true. That is not I true will at all. Literally kill a man for Sour Patch Kids. I love the Beats. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> exactly. Know, have you guys seen that new McDonald's commercial where all of like the arch rivals are giving each other McDonald's and now they're friends? The animated commercial, like the Joker gives Batman some chicken nuggets, and Batman's what? like, "Oh, we're friends. This is a real thing." How do they and get the licensing for that? I'm sure McDonald's, McDonald's paid McDonald's. the and world. The Smurfs give Gargamel some sli- some apple slices from McDonald's, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't want to kill you." <laughs> this <laughs> is a real commercial. What's Looking Gargamel? Up. The guy he was the bad guy in the Smurfs. Seriously, dude, oh. he wanted to eat the Smurfs, and his cat's name was Horatio. Asriel. Close enough. Horatio's. Yeah. You, just re- you just repeat the things you hear, don't you? Okay, so for Birdo, it was a pathetic addiction to Billy Joel. That's true. That's true. JB, do you want to... We'll go in uh, clockwise Wait, wait. Here. So you were, like, going to the mall and picking out your own records at fucking age seven? That illustrates my point that you were buying new kids on the block. But what does, that, what does that illustrate? She had her own taste in music and she bought it. <sighs> Well, I think New just, Kids on the Block is designed for people who didn't have their own taste in music. Hey, just when you get over to me, I'll I'll, I'll further Aaron's theory. Okay. And it just means that you guys were a little behind. That's, That's what fine. it means. That, I mean, that wasn't all I had. I had Joey Lawrence. That- <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whether you like them or not, I had tapes. She got well, okay, but that's tapes like, and that's, tapes. That's like me saying, uh, you know, that I had Batman episodes on VHS, and then I went out, and I also, I had taste, because I also had Superman tapes on VHS. Like, this fucking, that's what you, that's you, what you listen to. You can love them both. Okay, so when was your musical awakening, then? I, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, about years. five years ago. I mean, to say I had a musical awakening, like, at age seven, I had an epiphany, I was like... Oh my god! I, you know this is like we're not saying epiphany. Is, we're saying the first thing that made you think like, yeah, I'm really in into music. You were into. You, you yeah. had taste. You had decided for yourself. I like this. You know, to say it was good. Like I had CDs before Billy Joel. I had you know a ton of sh- random shit. Right. My first cassettes was Van Halen, 1984, Scorpions, Love at First Sting, and Heart Self Titled. Are there kids who like don't like music at age seven? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, we're, again, it's not they don't. Well, yes, actually, I had a kid work for me who does not did not like music. Well, I know plenty of people who listen to the radio and listen to music who don't feel the same okay. way about it that you know, the four well, of us do. Let's just cut some the so disembodied what, voice of God. Well, see, that's what I mean. Is like it's like you listen to shit, but then I feel like there's you know, I feel like I was probably. Hey, you want to come up here and get your own mic, or are you just going to uh, keep having disembodied conversations? <laughs> What? <laughs> and I'm holding a baby. Here comes CPS. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's like a there's like a like a point that you hit where like you sort of like you make your own path. You know what I mean? Like you, you find something that that genuinely affects you like differently than things that you just have sort of like grown up with and things that you're like comfortable with associated with. Like for example, yes, isn't, I think, that, isn't that the topic of this podcast? Right, isn't that exactly what we're talking but about? But so I'm saying like when you're seven, you're before that point. You just agree. you sort of just have the things that you're given, like you you have like a you know, people give things to you, you're comfortable. You're not changing your own channels yet. 
Yeah, exactly. People are putting shit on TV and you're sitting and watching. Like at, at age six or seven, you were not changing the channel for yourself. It was a metaphor, dumbass. I don't know. I didn't even have a cable. We had like a cable box where we had to get up and push the button. I don't even know if you guys. Well, we you weren't all that. born yeah. in 1962. Seriously, dickety. <laughs> Thank <James>. you. <laughs> uh, okay, so you had your awakening at age 15. I want to say I was probably. This is weird trying to figure out the exact age. I was probably 13. And my cousin gave me a Megadeth tape. Probably the one album of theirs that you like. It was probably Rust in Peace. Or it was Peace Cells. It was one of those two. I'm going to guess it was Rust in Peace. Because I remember we were talking about Megadeth one day at the store. I fucking love Rust in Peace. The only album you really like yeah, he, is Rust in Peace. He trashes every other Megadeth album. <laughs> That's true. Tra- openly trashes every other Megadeth I album. I am not ashamed about that. Actually, I will. I will openly discuss that. If anyone wants to... Uh, but Rust in Peace you hold sacred because it was your, your cherry popper. No, no, no. Rust in Peace is the best one. Uh, my cherry popper was probably Peace Cells. Oh, my mistake. Or maybe it was, maybe did, it was Countdown. When did, did Countdown come out? Did they ever figure out who was buying? <laughs> <laughs> what was the first album you ever bought for yourself? Oh. Okay, but wait a second. Well, let's get around this first question because, first. Well, because see, to me, that's, you know, that's part of it because that was like when I... You know, like, I actually went out acting and was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is, I got to get into this, and this is, like, what spawned me. For me, it was Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Uh, Under the Bridge was on there, right? Yes. That yes. was my mom's yeah. favorite song for a while, just so you know. Uh-oh. Was yeah. she living under a bridge at the time? <laughs> <laughs> well, Daryl was no, in the group. We, 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 oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> I, I had been sent away for a while. It's a dark time. Uh, so, Daryl, what's yours? Uh, well, I am very specific. Uh, I was six years old, and the album wow. that got me into music was Huey Lewis and the News Sports. Now, you should know this because I think I've bought that album in every format in the store. I bought it on vinyl. I bought it on cassette when I got all the cassettes done. Uh, I used to absolutely jump up and down and play air guitar on my bed to the heart of rock and roll. I feel um, like I feel like I should call my mom right now and be like, "What was the what was like the thing?" Maybe like, you honestly, maybe you just forgot because I don't I don't remember being like six. So I feel like I, I should I should call her and be like, yeah. what did I what did I listen to when I was fucking you know six years I old? I know when I was six to like I don't know nine or so I was probably into like, what is this the story of Jesus? Like, crappy, you just lost crappy nineties pop. You just forgot until you're thirty. Like, right, the babysitter was dry, had on in the car when we were driving around. I remember uh, my friend Dan Aris was like my best friend when I was like a little little kid, and his parents always had on Billy Joel. In their living room. Like, oh my god, that's that happens to be Birdo's best friend's name. <laughs> <laughs> like they would they would leave the house, I and mean, that was like their you know their like alarm system was leaving Billy Joel playing right. on the on the thing, and it was like there's always Billy Joel. I just, or this is what I remember anyway. I could be totally maybe they I heard yeah, it one once. time. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't Billy Joel. It was Elton John. But see, like I know in the back of my mind, like I can recall lyrics to random like TLC songs, mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette, that kind of early nineties alternative but, station mm-hmm. shit for me it was huey lewis in the news but when we would go on family trips i have an older brother and my parents obviously were driving and depending whose car we were in would kind of decide what we were listening to so my dad uh loved alabama and the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. so typically my dad drove when we went places so we were always always listening to alabama or the Bee Gees. you do and have I a have, thing for alabama right and i have a thing for the Bee Gees. i went out to eat today and in the diner i went to uh, a Bee Gees song came on their like their radio system, and like I know every word. I haven't you heard. You got the... up on the table. Yeah, I got oh, up on the table. No, no. Is that a Bee Gees song? Yeah, that's oh, not whatever. even wow. <laughs> um, but 
I, I have a soft spot and affinity for those songs, but those are not songs that I ever listened to by choice. It was just that's what was yeah, on. Shit you recall yeah. from your Huey Lewis and the News was the first cassette tape that I bought for myself with my allowance money because that song, man. And uh, we just got in a 12-inch single of I Want a New Drug, which uh, mm. coming home with me. Oh, yeah. So anyway, Justin, now you said what your first cassette tapes were. Those are my. I remember distinctly being given those. I still have them in that case right over there. I think the things I really – I remember specifically listening to Pink Floyd in the car with my dad. We listened to, I would say, primarily Wish You Were Here, but also Dark Side of the Moon. We listened to that a lot. Which, and mm-hmm. then hence, there's Which, where the name of the store came from. Right, so that holds a, a personal significance for you. And then uh, it sort of evolved into I was the uh, the Yang to Roberto's Yin because I would say around fourth, fifth grade, I really had an affinity for Elton John. Okay, and um, he even is, he is the, a rocket man. In the talent <clears throat> show, um, I lip sync with giant glasses to I want to say. Don't let the sun go down on me, but I can't quite remember. Did okay. you guys know each other at the time? This no, is, this we did pre- not. No, this is pre-pie. 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 Okay. Pre-pie. Pee-pee. They were both on a separate journey that would eventually mm-hmm. intertwine. Mm-hmm. It's a love story as old as time. And then, uh, and then I, we did our first face-to-face tour, and that was the end of it. I, you know what? I'm actually backwards, because before that, I remember while I still lived with my parents, for Christmas one year... I had asked for a boombox because I really I used to sit in the living room and listen to my dad's CDs with his headphones, mm-hmm. and I really liked listening to Meatloaf's "Bad Out of Hell 2. And uh, so for that Christmas, I got a boombox, and my uncle sent me some CDs for it. And then I got allowance money, and I remember going out and buying "Boys to Men 2 on CD with my own money, the first CD I ever bought. Okay, okay, but now was that the first the first album you ever bought? The like, cassettes, did you buy own... those? So those cassettes were given to you. Cassettes were given to me. Okay, so right. that was the first thing that you took your own money and went boys to men yep, too. I took mm-hmm. my allowance money and I went to Walmart up the road and hmm. I got boys to men too on CD. Okay, well, we'll uh, now that, okay, so what was the first album then, Roberto, that you spent your own money on? I think it was the CD of Green Day's Dookie. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I had that, I asked for that and one. And I can't remember. If it was before or during my Billy Joel phase, I think it was before. <laughs> but and I love, like, I love Dookie, but I never connected with it the same way that I connected Sorry. with the I, I love Dookie. <laughs> my, my but I'm pretty, it was either, it We're was all still sure six. That's the reason they named that record totally. that. It was for this <laughs> sure. exact moment. Well, that's right. I, uh, I had an aunt give me that CD for like my birthday or Christmas, and I did not like Green Day, didn't like that album. And she was like, oh, you like the Green Days, don't you? Here's Dookie. <laughs> Thanks, Aunt Chris. She gave you Dookie for Christmas. She gave me Dookie for Christmas. And I, my mom was one of those people who, you have to be polite, pretend you like it, even if you don't. And I was like, oh, boy. This is oh, oh this is great. Dookie. This is like the boys Shit. in the group home are gonna love this one. <laughs> Share with Tiny Tim. The tape I was given, my uncle Bob gave me, who was like you know, he was like the, the badass uncle. Uh he gave me Yellow. <laughs> I wanna say it was the year Robocop two came out, because he gave me Robocop two on VHS. And he gave me a copy of NWA straight out of copy. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> on cassette, he burned it like, or you know, he taped it, he dubbed it. <laughs> he burned it. <laughs> I don't know what the nomenclature was at the time. Dub. It is dub. He yeah, dubbed it. Dub. He dubbed me NWA, which was hilarious. My brother uh, was in uh, the BMG record club for a while. Mm-hmm. Does that still exist? I don't know. 
I don't know either. I, I, I don't think so. I would hope not. <laughs> uh, but my brother got his his uh, CDs. CDs? It might have even been tapes at that point. I don't remember. He got them, and my mom always wanted to look at what he was getting. And he had gotten uh, Extremes Porno Graffiti. And she refused <laughs> to let him listen to it until she listened to it front to back to make sure it wasn't inappropriate. Little did she know what she was in for with Gary Sharon and <laughs> Nuno Bentoncourt. <laughs> More than words. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever have a CD taken away from them? Guns N' Roses, User Illusion 1. Was not allowed to own that. Limp Bizkit, Significant Other. Well, I would have taken that away from you, too. <laughs> I, you know what? I was the, the favor. I was done a favor. If, if, you, if you brought that, that in. That? Your dad took that away uh, from you? I think my mom did. Oh, yeah. If you brought that in now, I would take it away from you. Well, $3 how, bill, that's another story. No. How old were you at the time? <laughs> 26. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably 11 or 12. So like, it had just come out. and you It had just it. come out, and I bought it at like the mall. Put it on. I made, I made the mistake of putting it on in the car. Yeah, dude, that's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Although mine was Jerky Boys 3. Okay, that's so different. That is so different. That's not the same at all. But I chose to spend my money on that. Then I put it on the car, and I got in a lot of trouble because I was into Jerky Boys. You don't be, children, don't be hasty with your inappropriate CDs. Wait till you get home. I remember uh, my best friend in high school. Did you notice his... that almost every sentence in this podcast has started with, I remember? <laughs> it's a very nostalgic podcast. It's all we do. We deal in nostalgia. I remember Freddie Cavendish and his... But my best friend, he, uh, he used to listen to Metallica. He was obsessed. I think he still is obsessed with Metallica. I remember he had the box, the live shit, Binge and Purge. Mm. And we would listen to that in the car with his, like, with his mom. And I was having like a full-on anxiety attack because it's just James Hatfield dropping the most creative F-bombs you can ever come up with. Yeah. <laughs> At least it wasn't Garage Inc. when he does that cover of... Uh... Are you sautéing chicken dust? <laughs> Jesus. It's, I could really hear it. In my <laughs> Seriously, ears. was that song on the second disc of uh, Garage Inc. where he's like, "I fucked this," and I so fucked what? That. Yeah. Oh, we listened to that sh- like I so this. fucking what? Yeah, like it was amazing that his oh, his yeah. parents let us listen to that in the car. I like, uh, was playing that in care. the Johnstown Fye one time and totally forgot that song was on there. And it was like a Saturday afternoon. And his family <laughs> was now, what, what did, now what did you do? Did you ever just like clear your throat to cover it up? No, it was it was loud. <laughs> well, no, but I, I would always. I've done that, yeah, I, I've played stuff like on the overhead, and as soon as I knew, oh shit, curse words coming up, I'd be <clears throat> yeah, just so everyone would like look at me right. and be like, what is that boy doing? They never would have understood. So pulled one over on them. So that those were our our awakenings, res- our, awakenings mm-hmm. our sexual awakenings. Um, <laughs> Roberto, yes, you started with Billy Joel. I did. You are ashamed. We're here to help you. This is a support group. Thank you. Uh, so then, what was your next musical turn? What band or album turned you away from the Joelster? The, the next one, I would say, is I'm thinking it's it's Smashing Pumpkins. Is my next one? Mm. Okay, Siamese Dream. Siamese Dream was the album. I remember very specifically. I'm gonna get deep here for a minute. Ooh. My mother was literally on her deathbed with cancer, and like the hospital had cancer, and my cousin was driving my brother and I to the hospital which was in Boston at like the cancer center and he had Siamese Dream on in the car and it was like the CD changer I can see and he was like going. telling me about the pumpkins and blah 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 and that whatever was the first time I guess you know, I knew music was cool but like suddenly music had feelings all the feelings and like that's when like the lyrics started to connect and stuff like that and so that specifically I associate Smashing Pumpkins and Siamese Dream with that, obviously, 
significant part of my life. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that, you know, right around that period, I bought every fucking Pumpkins album I could get. I was shitty because they broke up like that year. Uh, was it like the last year? But your love of the pumpkins has continued on. It has continued, and it has allowed mm. me to see past the uh, lineup changes. You know, th- I was going to say this does explain a lot about like why you 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 cut them slack. I do. I will. Yeah, I cut I cut Billy a lot of slack. Although Zwan was appalling. Wow. It's like when we were talking about our top ten list, and I mentioned the Milvins, and I was like, they've only been a band for thirty years. They deserve, you know, they deserve a little, a yeah. little, a little slack. Yeah, yeah. Everybody slack. has that. It's, it's also the reason I cut a door as an album a lot of slack sometimes. Because I think it is their weakest album, but the song for Martha on that album, like Billy Corgan wrote after his mother died, and I'm like, oh, sh- fuck Billy. That that changed that, your yeah, direction. That, that change from that, you know, led into Nirvana and like the other like the grunge era stuff. Uh-huh. Does that mean was grunge a thing for all of us? Was grunge a game changer? Like, was it some grunge band for each of us? Yeah, Probably, but or was yeah. there? I should say, was there a grunge band for each of us? No, no, I didn't go through the grunge movement. I mean, I, I ended up liking Smashing Pumpkins, but I never really considered that grunge, and that was not... It wasn't. Yeah, I, I would agree. I wouldn't necessarily call Billy them Billy Corgan calls them grunge. He said he, he was does. a direct yeah. competitor to Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. um, but no. We went through the grunge phase, but we were late on the grunge phase. Yeah, he's, he's, we were. Point, he's pointing to Roberto. Um, <laughs> we, as in Justin and Roberto. Yeah. The, ro- I mean, the royal we. I, would, I was going to say that Nirvana was probably my next real turning point, because yeah, uh, in sixth grade, somebody traded me... Nirvana's Bleach and Weezer Pinkerton for a pair of shoes that didn't really fit me anymore. Sounds like a deal. And, deal. Yeah, so we traded, and that really changed me. But that was probably 1996. Yeah, 1996. That's so funny. Maybe I, 1997. I missed out on Pinkerton until like, later in my life. Like For some reason, that specific album... I just it just like passed right by me. I had never heard of him before, but he was telling me how great they were, and mm-hmm. we so we traded. And I mean, yeah, my Smashing Pumpkins thing that I, the turning point into Curdle two thousand was when my mom died in mm. September of that year. So, now, see, mine was I've, obviously again we we've come to this that this side of the room, the we on this side of the room, JB and I are are a bit older than the we <laughs> the on that side of the guys. room. Mm-hmm. My my awakening. I mean, I was Huey Lewis in the news, and I was I was listening to Weird Al. Because I was little yeah. and Weird Al's great. I still love. I I own every Weird Al album in some capacity. Uh, my brother, who is two and a half years older than me, got into other things, and I remember the first time he played Van Halen's "For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge." That that was my changer. That got me away from Huey Lewis, and I still love Weird Al, but that made me kind of put the Weird Al tapes to the side, mm, yeah. and I was <laughs> I was listening to Van Halen because I didn't know guitars could do that. Yeah, I didn't know that music could do that, and you know that was that was Hagar era Van Halen. So mm-hmm. I was actually introduced to Van Halen in the Van Hagar era, which is why I think that I hold a soft spot for the. Sammy Hagar years, which most people dismiss those. It's I don't like, really have a big problem with the Sammy Hagar years. The, the music changed because it went from, like, David Lee Roth, he was just over the top, and it was like cars, girls, party, drugs. It was everything. It was fun. And Sammy Hagar came along, and all of a sudden it was like... It was love. It was, it was love. That yeah. fun anymore. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't fun. And it Monogamy! Became, and it, it seriously became mostly about that, except for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge had a couple of pound cake is, you know, basically about banging as many women as possible. What? But, <laughs> but, I thought it was about cake. But, <laughs> yeah, but that it's was... not about pie. I don't I understand. Did, I, didn't, I didn't know music could sound that way, and that was an absolute revelation for me. That was a moment where I went like, wow, this is significant. You know, I, do you guys have older siblings? No. 
Birdo, I'm, I'm the oldest. I am also the eldest. You know, having an older brother, what he thought was cool, you know, I wanted to be just like my brother. So he went, oh, I'm listening to Van Halen. I wanted Van Halen. When he, my brother left for the military, like, I inherited all of his, like, Van Halen tapes and everything. I used to rock those all day, every day. I can relate to that, though, because my cousin Chris, who right. introduced me to Smashing Pumpkins, uh, after my mom died, he became a very, like, big brother figure in my life when I was, like, a teenager. And he gave me, uh, like, Metallica's Black album. Uh, he gave me Weezer's Pinkerton. Introduced me to a lot of music that didn't change the game as much as the Smashing Pumpkins had, but uh, you know, opened my eyes to different shit. That just totally reminded me of something. What? Uh, so there was. I a- left the stove on at home. No, no, no. Fuck, <laughs> dude. It, it's funny. There's like so many like memories of being a child. Okay, so Julian Adler. I don't know if I should cut out this kid's name. There was a kid in when I was in. Are you talking about Julian Adler? Elementary school. And his name was Julian Adler. And Julian? Julian Adler? Julian Adler. Julian. I should see if he's on Facebook. I'll show him this podcast. <laughs> Julian Adler, for his bar mitzvah, so he was 13, uh-huh. though obviously we were 12, turning 13. He uh, Going on 30. Had his, like, his invitations all had Slash's skull from Appetite for Destruction. And it was like, you know, the skull with his top hat. And that was like the invitation. And I want to say that I might have heard Appetite for Destruction around that period. That would make sense. That That is a life-changing album. Because, I mean, I, I definitely recognize, I knew what it was. You know what I mean? I recognized the symbol that he had chosen. I was like, oh, he's so cool. That's the coolest person. So you had like ever. a visual connection to it. Right. This feels like a, a psychiatric evaluation, and we're like regressing JB back to his and he's remembering things that he hasn't remembered in a long time. Like, oh, my God, Julian Adler. Oh, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I, well, Dude, I, I, I remember hearing that. about Guns N' Roses years before I actually listened to them. Because I, I was like a little kid, I was probably like seven or eight. I think I was on a play date with a friend. And I remember overhearing <laughs> our parents talking to each other about my friend's older brother. And I remember his mother saying like, oh, he's getting into like music. He's into Guns N' Roses now. And there was this, this like knowing nod between the parents or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck's Guns N' Roses? I'm seven. Blah. Years later, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Roberto was the cool. penguin at age seven. <laughs> 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 and it's funny how scary Guns N' Roses was, like in their early part of their career. Yeah, it was like, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were I remember, shocking. Um, I got into them because my dad had this friend who had two kids, one of which was older than me, and uh, he was really into Guns N' Roses. And so my dad and this kid and I like went around Charlotte one day. And we went, I don't remember, I have no idea why, but we totally went to the store that sold nothing but like handcuffs and leather and music ephemera. I can see why this is a turning point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, no, it wasn't a turning point for me, but that's when I first heard Guns N' Roses because like he brought his cassette tape to play in the car. Hmm. We also have to remember Guns N' Roses was the biggest thing in the world. Totally, right? absolutely. Yeah. November rain, that, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. I didn't really get into them until... You know, I like I was talking about before, like once I found like Nirvana, that was a turning point to me to find this whole other world of music, like right. older and newer yeah. and everything. Like, well, that's it. Around the same time was when I found Marilyn Manson. It peaked your oh. taste for like really? wanting to find stuff. So now, where did you go from there? So Smashing Pumpkins opened up the world for you. Yeah. So what was um, next? What, what? The next one, I think, again, like I'm, I was like late to the party. 
But I think my next one that stands out was probably Downward Spiral, a Nine Inch Nails. Okay, which we just listened to the other day. The other day, I had it out on the store, yeah. It sounds so good on vinyl. Um, the, we got that Pretty Hate Machine reissue that you had. Yeah. That sounded so good. Mm. Like, there that were was parts the, I had The 2010 remaster, yeah, yeah. That was a nice one. But yeah, I'd say Downward Spiral is probably the next one, because I remember seeking it out. Because I, I sought out Closer. Because a lot of stuff, like I'm a big movie buff. And so a lot of things I would find through soundtracks and stuff like that. Lost Highway. Lost Highway mm-hmm. um, led to my soundtrack affinity. But uh, Closer was remixed for the end credits of the movie 7. Yes. Which scared the shit out of me as a kid when I saw it. The movie? The movie. And I remember the music oh, the was like, oh shit, Like, what is this? Like, What is this industrial synthy stuff? And so I went, I went looking for it and I found Downward Spiral, which led to... Like the you know, electronic stuff, obviously, I found Pretty Hate Machine and the other Nine Inch Nails albums led me to Manson, uh, led me mm-hmm. to more like metal stuff. And I guess you could say that it was like the uh, kind of the, the angry music discovery, you know? I, I feel like that was later for you, though, because I remember, I remember when you got into Manson. Manson was in high school. Yeah. Uh, Nine Inch Nails would have been like eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. See, I went the other way around. I found Manson, found Manson first. When Antichrist Superstar came out, because I remember some this girl... And middle school had the Rolling Stone cover with his face on it, with like the makeup, yeah, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the eyes, yeah. And so I was like, I read the article, and then I asked my grandmother to take me to media play, and I bought Antichrist Superstar, and that was, you know, <laughs> which media play, yeah, the t- one in Poughkeepsie? No, I'm oh. in uh, Schenectady. Oh, okay, all right. And uh, yeah, then then I had like an industrial phase. I found Nine Inch Nails. And then I got into a ministry thing for a so little while. So was that your was that was your second awakening? I would say that was really part of the same thing. Like Nirvana picked me up, and then I like you know I kept going from there. Because those are both very controversial. Nine Inch Nails when Closer came out, yeah. the video to that, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of it you know yeah, being yeah. edited and yeah. the song itself. Like I want to fuck you like an animal. That was not okay. Yeah, I, I but, didn't get to Manson until Golden Age of Grotesque, mm, and that's a good album. Manson. I think was was a pariah for a while, and it really then was. he there was the rumor he was going to kill himself on stage at a show, oh, yeah. and everyone went like, "Good, I hope he does." There was but so man, that beautiful that, that beautiful people song is fucking catchy as all fuck. I'm, I'm gonna. That's not really a segue at all, but I just started reading um, one of those thirty three and a third books. Oh yeah, uh, for Pretty Hate Machine, ironically, hmm. and the ironic. intro to the it's book not ironic at all references um, <laughs> it's like rain on your wedding day. No, it's it like is. a free yeah. ride, but you already paid. Oh, some good advice. Yeah. That's what makes it's us like, humans like be. A fly in your Chardonnay. <laughs> I've been waiting to make the vanilla reference. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the intro to the book talks about how uh, I think I was talking to you about it the other day, JB. Um, how that Manson, like Nothing Records, which is Trent Reznor's mm-hmm. label, so like Nine Inch Nails and Manson and a couple of other bands he signed, was really the last like surge of controversy surrounding rock and roll music, because that was Paramount and like the Columbine shooting. Everyone yep. just jumped on Manson for, you know, mm-hmm. the kid had one Marilyn Manson CD, and yep. it was all about that. Um, and really just made him such a pariah. Was it the last controversy, though? I feel like from there it went to Eminem, and from there it was hip-hop, and then... But he, he Eminem said, happened before Columbine. Right, but he's saying it was the last, like, when rock and roll specifically okay. was, was really targeted. shocking. Not yeah. necessarily music in general, but, like, Manson right. was the la- like the last... Thing rock and roll through with parents, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, now yeah. no one gives a. F- I mean, you know, half the bands out there are dressing in makeup. Like Slipknot tried, but they and like and Slipknot is not shocking the way right. that you know 
Trent Reznor was when he first came out. And Absolutely. You know, people were like genuinely like protesting their shows and genuinely yeah. afraid. I mean, I mean, now today if like, a rock star is androgynous and weird on stage like Manson was. But it was also the themes, too. The themes of the songs and the themes of the albums were intense. Well, they, yeah, I mean, that's... You don't the, get that now. You don't get that for real now. You get like a right. lot of fake... All right, like, Fall Out Boy is not doing uh, Antichrist Superstar. Right. And no one has fucking written a song like Hurt since Hurt. I mean, right. that song is still, it gives you chills when you hear it. I mean, it's mm, Especially the Johnny Cash version. Well, yeah. we'll talk about that in best covers, I think. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny because you guys talking about Marilyn Manson, and maybe I'm the one who's truly latest to the game, but I remember when Portrait of American Family came out. Mm-hmm. Someone gave me a copy of that. and Poor little monkey. <laughs> and I remember, like, being obsessed with that record and being, obs- uh, I mean, obviously, as were artists that I was into at the time, Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana, these grunge acts and, you know, these industrial acts that I was listening to. I definitely went through a Manson phase where I wanted, like, everything. Yeah. When, uh, after Antichrist Superstar came out, he did a remix EP called mm-hmm. Remix and Repent. And yeah. I remember going to the, the music store. It was this little, I worked in the Woodbury Commons when I was, like, 16, and there was a, a music store in the Commons called Music for Less despite the fact that CDs were like $20 a piece. It was never yeah. for less. And I remember going in there every week and asking, like, did you guys fucking get this thing yet? And the girl was like, stop asking. I remember that was hard to find. I mean, I looked for yeah. a remix and repent years later when I found Manson. It was hard it's, to come by. It's still out of print. Mm-hmm. I, found I think a copy I still eventually. Have I got yeah. it somewhere. But. Like, I had a copy of the Lunchbox single mm-hmm. on CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. like the same period. Like, those, well, they would just put those out or they'd put out like the imports. Yeah. That's also the period right. of like, all, where yeah. import CDs. The singles were all like, we should move on from Manson. This has been a lot yes. of we, 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 could, we could do an entire podcast, I think, about Manson, judging from this conversation. Yeah. It's funny that you guys went Manson and Nine Inch Nails, because I went the exact opposite direction. For me, you know... Tony it was Van, Bennett? It was, no. <laughs> it was Van Halen, and then um, the... We've talked about MTV before and how MTV used to play videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, MTV what? Used Wait, I'm sorry. What What are those? <laughs> MTV used to have this show that was on uh, like Friday and Saturday nights from midnight till 2 a.m. called 120 Minutes because mm-hmm. it was two hours, hosted by Matt Pinfield. And I was watching it one night, uh, one late night, and I shouldn't have been. I should have been in bed. Uh, and I had like this little freaking shitty TV you know, with the little hand dial and everything. It was great. And uh, this band comes on. This band Weezer. And they have a video for the sweater song. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And the song's catchy. And, you know, the video's, like, kind of low budget. It's just, like, them, like, on a like a soundstage kind of thing. And towards the end of the video, the drummer gets up, and he's running around his drum kit, hitting the cymbals, just running around in a circle, hitting the cymbals. I was like, I kind of like this. This is really fun. Next time, turn it on again. Same video. I got to go get this. Went out to the store and bought the Blue Album. And the Blue Album absolutely changed my life. When Pinkerton came out, I remember my mom saying, I'm going to the mall, you know, to get this. Do you want me to grab you anything? I was like, got to get me. There's a new Weezer album. It's called Pinkerton. I can't wait to hear it. And I remember putting that in the first time and going like, fuck, this is not, this is not the same band. This can't be the same band. These songs are like sad and depressing. And he, Were you disappointed by Pinkerton? I was not. Oh. The first time I heard but Tired was, of Sex. It was a change. Yeah. It was a change. But the first time I heard Tired of Sex, I was like, that was exactly what I wanted. To be tired of sex. You are no, the, 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 that music. And it, now I am. Because at the same point, I was listening to a lot of you know other stuff, and Weezer was just there was no one that sounded like Weezer. Weezer was kind of alone because they were they were fun, but the music sounded good, and it was kind of grungy, and it wasn't overly refined, and it just sounded like they were just like four dudes hanging out writing music, and this was just what they did. You know, Marilyn Manson was a character. Trent yeah. Reznor, yeah. to some degree, at that point, was a character. You could say yeah. he was a 
gimmick. Except he's a, he's a, he's a gimmick that. that's lasted what twenty five years. That's a good gimmick. That's a good gimmick, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> the, he is oh, the God. pale emperor. <laughs> he is plug and play. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny. I was going to say that uh, I had almost like the opposite experience where. When the blue record was out, I remember specifically sitting in John Gasoni's basement, and we like I are you just name dropping? You're people just name now? dropping people <laughs> well, who you don't even know anymore. John Gasoni. We was well because he will verify this conversation where we were like listening to. I was really into punk, and I was into like the Germs, and he was really into, he was a guy who was really into Metallica. But I remember like having this conversation where we were just like. Weezer sucks. They're so bad. They're so stupid. And then we were clearly assholes because we were kids. And then later, you know, like later in life, that's why I was saying these things like pass by me. And then I, when I actually went back and listened to them, I appreciated them. Just like at the time, I was just like, I'm too punk for this. I'm 13. Um, I'm so rebellious. Your <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next, Birdo. I'm so rebellious. Uh, so now you now you've gone. Now you're wearing trench coats. You're putting on makeup. I had a trench coat. You had this crazy coat. I had a crazy coat. So, like so, like so like nothing. Topic. So nothing has changed, coat. is what I you're saying. Was, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. Now he has a bane coat. I do have a bane coat. I love that coat. It's very warm. I'm waiting for like, and then I realized that it was all bullshit, and then I got into <laughs> then I got into Sinatra. <laughs> then it was my, came my John Denver period. <laughs> Rocky Mountain. Uh-huh. I'm trying to run, yeah, and, and the from there it gets it kind of like blends together because at that point Country I was like, roads, no wind to fold them. That's Dang Kenny Rogers. <laughs> There's just this weird mashup of terrible country songs going on. Well, right now. have had you been going to concerts at this point? I had. What was your had, What was your first concert? First concert was Aerosmith. Okay, and it was a good show. It, it was the '90s. That was maybe peak Aerosmith. Was it the '90s? Around, no, it was the early 2000s at that point. Oh. Holy shit, man. Yeah. You're old. <laughs> yeah. You are old. Seriously, well, we see, are fucked. And this is why it's funny when you guys talk about, like, going back to Manson, but, like, when I was listening to Manson, I'm, well, like, almost 10 years older than you guys. And so you're like, oh, I was listening to Manson. I was three. <laughs> I'm like, that's fucked up. <laughs> so my first concert was The Meat Puppets at Rye Playland. They that's played cool. a free show. Oh, shit. Rye and Playland. this was probably in, like, 94. So like grunge was at its peak, yeah. and uh, I saw the Meat Puppets play for free. Justin, do you know your next one? While Berto does research, my next one. Are we talking about concerts? No, your next uh, awakening. Um, I feel like the concert thing could be yeah, six episodes. Uh, I went from the Manson Industrial. I really had a big ministry phase for a while. Al Jorgensen. Yeah, uh, and Steve Albini. I get into Big Black and all those things. That's another one that like passed by me until later in life. I. When I was probably like 16, I'd say, I really found Neil Young. But I would say like the biggest shift for me came around the same time, 16, 17, 18. I came across Nick Cave. And like that. And no one could relate to that. And I still don't really know many people that can relate to that. I remember when you found Nick Cave, I was like, what the fuck is this? You didn't care for a while. It took me a couple years to like get into it. I, the first Nick Cave song I ever heard was Where the Wild Roses Grow with Kylie Minogue. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I cannot classify what I just heard. And at the time, I was real, I was like, you know, I was like really into classic rock. You know, I, at that point, I'd gone out and bought The Who and Zeppelin. And I used to drive around in my shitty first car blaring Led Zeppelin all the time. When you weren't Metallica. blaring Ain't My Bitch. Yeah. Well, the car was called <laughs> The Bitch. And then we'd play Ain't My Bitch and we'd drive around. Ain't My Bitch. <laughs> 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 Berto and I used to sing Fuel in the hallways of our high school. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me... Ooh. 
Yeah. Oh, man, James Hetfield's so great. <laughs> He's the best. But yeah, I, I found Nick Cave, and shortly thereafter, I'd say I found Tom Waits. <laughs> have you ever seen, sorry, have you ever seen the picture of uh, James Hetfield recently? Uh, it's him and Robert Trujillo and both of their wives, and they're holding like, bags from the Armani Exchange. Yeah. Bargains, <laughs> imprisoning yeah. me, all that I see, absolute <laughs> savings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. So Nick Cave. Nick Cave and Tom Waits, I'd say, were my next like real revelations. And now those have stuck with you. Yeah, I mean... Uh, now, yeah. did that steer you away from what you were listening to? I could say at this point that I can't really go back and listen to like Nirvana anymore. Okay. Because it just... I, you know, it's not bad in any way. Like, you know, I know there's people that would be like... But, they would what? They would say what? Just, just get into a whole thing were about... You, were you singing Fuel again? <laughs> <laughs> when it, it just reminds me of being in middle school, and it gives me that feeling of... I need to grow up. Basically, uh, it puts me almost at where I'm at now. I listen to a lot of Neil Young and Nick Cave and Tom Waits. And at some point, I found the Mars Volta, which was, I'd say, another revelation because that blew my mind. I found the Mars Volta inside a Trogdor pumpkin. That you did. Is that code for something? No. Is that code for, like, black tar heroin or something? Okay, so you put the CD in a pumpkin and gave it to him? Yeah, then I took the pumpkin. And I took the pumpkin. Oh, <laughs> wow, what a dick. Did you take the pie tin back after you gave him the pie, or did you eat half the pie after Stewart's you gave him the pie? Stuart's pie didn't come in a tin? What no, it was the tail about? talk, man. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! I, uh, hmm. I just remember that there, at some point in that span of being a teenager in high school, I found the Ramones. Hmm. And uh, that was a whole wave for me. And then I found the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the right. Clash and... I remember the Sex Pistols in the class. I don't think I ever had like a Ramones phase. Like people always talk about the Ramones, and I still like I I have like their best of CD, like double disc, but I never bought any of their albums really. Or... It's because we missed that period. Like the Ramones happened yeah. and is done, and that's it. And we right. missed out on that period. I I saw the Ramones at Lollapalooza. I feel like not to put you down, but I feel like that's not really seeing the Ramones. Well, I was gonna say, and that <laughs> I was that's my only exposure. And right. take that for what it's worth. You know what I mean? Like, I missed out on the Ramones. Like, I sort of appreciate them. I th- I think that they're like the Beach Boys. Like, they write the same songs as the Beach Boys. The guitars are just more distorted. And I don't know why people found them shocking. I mean, I guess it was what it was. I don't think the they time, were but... shocking. I think they were just different. Like, there was a... Uh... There was no music that fast at that time. Even the New York yeah. Dolls weren't really doing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Or the Stooges. And I was into a lot of weird punk, but for some reason the Ramones, just like I never... They were too mainstream for you, man. Yeah, I, I was too punk for the Ramones. Yeah. Oh my God. Too punk for Weezer, too punk for the Ramones. Lots of regrets. Daryl, what's yours? Uh, the next one for me, you know, you know what JB was saying, how you get into the things that you like and there were a little outlier things. So for me, after Weezer, I was listening to Weezer, Weird Al, Van Halen, and Tom Petty. Those four were the like, just what I listened to all mm-hmm. the time. And, you know, on the bus on the way to school or driving to school, there was never – it was the radio. And it was K-104. Do you guys get K-104 here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you know what's on there now. It was the shit Roberto was talking about before. It was Creed. It was just garbage. And yeah, I started – 90s to, alternative. Right. And I started to get away from that. And then I was hanging out with two kids who were like a year younger than me. And we went to the one kid's house, and like I was friends with the one kid, and he was friends with the other, so we were friends by proxy. And we went to his house, and this was a, a very significant day in my life for two reasons. Number one, I we went into the kid's house. His parents weren't home, so we're like, oh, let's go hang out in my room, whatever. We go. He pulls out a huge bag of weed, and I mean like a Ziploc bag, like a huge Ziploc freezer bag of weed. I had never been in the same room with any sort of drugs. No one in my family smoked, drank, anything. So it was kind of like, here, you want some? No. No, I don't. 
But anyway, he goes over. He's like, good you, story. He's like, here, check out this song, man. And he goes over to his. He had like a big stereo, and he hits play, and it was uh, the Corn album, "Life Is Peachy." Mm. Mm. And the first song on there is "Twist," which is just Jonathan Davis grunting. <laughs> that song finished, and I kind of went like, "Oh." Next song comes on. Oh, and like halfway through the album, I kind of went like, "This music is heavy sometimes," and. Looking back, obviously, I, I'm ashamed to, to say I was <laughs> I was that big into corn. But I that, remember when that record came out, dude. I was stoked for that uh, record like, to come I, out. I hadn't heard the first album at all. Like Twist was my first corn experience, and I didn't understand it, and I really liked it. And I got into like all things. It was like corn, Limp Bizkit, Deftones, all the same mm-hmm. time because they were considered mm-hmm. to be all in that new metal thing. Despite yeah. the fact that those three bands were not at all. Similar. I, w- I will say that the uh, the time my Limp Bizkit CD got taken away Limp by my mother, <laughs> I was very happy that I saved my corn yeah. CD. Anybody else notice that once per podcast, Roberto has a up. weird pronunciation thing? Limp Bizkit. I mean, Limp Bizkit. That, now Limp Bizkit, $3 bill, mm-hmm. still looking back was... Uh, what you're shaking your fucking head? Those yeah, fucking, I am. He's judging you. That was that I'd was say the t- nookie made me really uncomfortable every time I heard yeah. it. <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. Everybody uncomfortable, dude. But Limp Biscuit and that style of music, the entire rap rock rap metal genre, started the decline with Limp Biscuit's significant other. But a significant part of that whole thing with the Limp Biscuit was Woodstock '99. Basically, they attribute to them starting the riot because they were playing when shit went bad, and that was post significant other. I think. It was. Yeah. Break right? stuff, Which right? Was the one that Give me something to break. Yeah, that was fucking yeah. awful. Um, but yeah, that got me, that made me realize there was heavier music than what yeah. I was listening to and that, you know, music could be angry and I wasn't an angry kid. I wasn't like angsty teenager or angry and needed to get my rage out. I just, I just liked the way it sounded. Birdo, you look like you were about to yeah, open your mouth. Um, your mouth was again. I guess the, uh, the next, I don't know, it was, chronologically, it probably happened roughly the same time but it was probably when I started hanging out with you, I started listening to Pink Floyd. And I, I had listened to like classic rock and like Led Zeppelin and whatever was on like uh, Pix 106 yep. when it was still uh, classic rock. But um, still hanging out with you, like you, you know, you were really pushing Wish You Were Here and you had the shirt. I'm like, oh, let me, let me check it out. And so that's when I started exploring like classic rock and going backwards and checking out like the wall. Hey, teacher. Leave yeah. the kids alone. I mean, what kid didn't fucking know those lyrics? There's a lot of Julian Adlers on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so you're aware. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so that was what inspired you to go backwards then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I started going backwards, and then you know he discovered Neil Young, and shortly thereafter, he introduced me to Neil Young. In person. Once, Birdo, once Neil, we Neil met, Birdo. we went like back and forth a lot with our tastes. You guys are like a uh, what is it? A Venn diagram, with, like the two mm. circles, and you have that overlap. And there's definitely things where, like, when something Neil Young comes in, typically both of you are interested. Nick Cave, you're both interested, but then you also listen to a lot of things that Birdo goes, "What the fuck is this shit?" Yeah, same, Jack White, same and then he puts right. on the Evil Dead soundtrack, <laughs> and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, that's true. That's called friendship, bro. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a friend when I was, you know, in a lot of my my formative music years who was listening to everything on the radio. So he would come in and be like, dude, I bought the album by Chumbawamba. This album is amazing. And he'd put it on and I'd be like, "What, dude, what the fuck are you what, doing? What is your problem? And then the next day he'd come in, dude, Creed, My Own Prison. Fuck, that record is so heavy. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He just, it was awful. And it just kind of made, I think that was the point where I realized that, not that I was an outlier musically, but that I wanted something more than just the same bullshit all the yeah. time. 
I feel like I skipped over some things. Like I'm sure we. That's the nature of this conversation is we're gonna gloss over so much. Like uh, I just remember like. Have we really discussed how bad Creed was? <laughs> <laughs> no, discovering uh, tools, Anima. Anima, mm-hmm. I was just saying. Anima. That that fucking album I used to play yeah. over and over and over, and I was late to that party. So what was what's something recent that has been a game changer for us? Like in the last say few years, that has been like a. a a significant thing. Probably my soundtrack thing. But where did that come from? That started, and I actually thought about this when talking about this uh, podcast, planning for it, was the Donnie Darko score. Hmm. Okay. It was the first Death Waltz record I bought, and I remember I always really loved the um, uh, that Mad World, the cover uh, right, from right, Tears right. for Fears from that movie. And so I'm like, oh, this could be cool on vinyl. Let me check it out. And it was. like, I mean, being having grown up being a movie buff, I always knew that movies with music were important. Music played a large role in it, but uh, that's when I started really listening to the nuances of the soundtrack and the scores and what makes a good one, what makes an absolute shitty one. You know what's funny is uh, I love the Fight Club soundtrack by the yep. Dust Brothers. Yep. Like I still like if I'm working on stuff, like if I have to, to focus and really like you know do something, like I'll just put that on. And I used to put that on on repeat when I was in college writing term papers. I would just let that record spin and. And I would work on things, and I still do to this day. It's a great, it's a great fucking soundtrack. The Dust yeah. Brothers, huh? They were paired with Corn on the Spawn soundtrack that I bring up once <laughs> per podcast. They also produced the Tenacious D self-titled album. I want to mention like later two thousands. Can like, we just pause and listen to the soundtrack of Justin's life now? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? The the whooshing thing? That's a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> I said that's a giraffe. <laughs> I had this other phase where, like, I found Modest Mouse, mm-hmm. and um, I found Bright Eyes. That was a really big one for me. And I found Coheed and Cambria. Like, hearing uh, and keeping secrets was, like, a huge thing for me. And then we went to see them, and I would say that was, like, Northern the, f- Lights, yeah. the first time I saw them was, like, one of the biggest concert revelations, which we'll save for another time. Yeah, concert revelations are an entirely other ball of wax. <laughs> and um I but I I guess I would have to say that my most recent like thing that I'm like actually really into was I went back and gave the white stripes another chance. Hmm. I like something just clicked for me. I used to naysay them all day long. So you used but to I be never Birdo. actually listened to them. You used to be Birdo and now you're now you're not. <laughs> I just That's his side of the Venn diagram. I just poo pooed them and I had no real reason to. <laughs> I poo poo them. All right, so the white stripes, which obviously, you know, you as a, a large white stripes Jack White third man fan, that's obviously a pretty significant uh You call me fat bro? Well, I mean, I'd say that, like, the, the White Stripes uh, was also, like, you followed Jack White. Like, you followed his career from going back to the White Stripes, and you still follow his other projects. It was, I, I was tours and sort of groups. Um, kismet, I suppose, because I have got into the White Stripes, and then suddenly, a few months later, there was a Jack White solo record. And, Blunderbuss? Yeah, and then it just all We're all late to the game. Then, that's, yeah. that's the recurring theme of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We're all late. Yeah. yeah, but there's nothing wrong with being late. Corn got me... You know, knowing there was heavier music, but I was into what I always told people was hard rock. Like, oh, what kind of music? You know, like hard rock. So I was, was, was going to ask, when did you become Sorrow Eternal? Well, two thousand. <laughs> well, Sorrow Eternal is is What's probably the origin the, story. Well, that's the the probably the last turning point. But before that, two thousand four, I started working at Media Play, mm. and uh, a friend got me the job, and I was working in the DVD department, which wasn't really my bag. So I ended up becoming like the head of the music department, and every month we had to do an overnight. 
Saturday night into Sunday, which to, is crazy, to, to set our our monthly uh, ad. So it was like a team of seven of us, and there were two guys that worked there that were brothers, and another kid who was kind of a creepy little kid. And we would go, and the second the store closed, it was it was now our place. And they would grab this. We sold electronics, and they grabbed this huge fucking stereo, huge, and they put it on like this desk, and they put a CD in, and they hit play. And that was the first time I heard Opeth, and mm. I heard Blackwater Park the first time. And much like my, you know, Van Halen and my Weezer and Corn, I didn't know music could do that. And you know, it's one part he's screaming his head off, growling, making noises that make me think I'm going to void my bowels. And then seconds later, it's acoustic and he's singing so perfectly. I didn't, I just didn't know that was possible. And so that CD ended, pulled that out, in went Catatonia, and that was that one first night hearing Catatonia and Opeth is what. That sent me down the metal road because then I needed to hear everything. And like I went and bought every Catatonia CD. Most of them at that point were like imports, box sets, bought all that, bought every Opeth CD. And those are bands that I will defend to this day. You know, much like, you know, uh, you were saying with the Smashing Pumpkins, Mm -hmm. for me, it's the same thing. Catatonia and Opeth, no matter what they do, I love it. And even the new Opeth album, I, I don't like it in comparison to their others, but I understand why it's good. Yeah, they, they get a pass. They and earned a pass. I would say Catatonia more than Opeth, because even Opeth, I was highly critical of the new album. Catatonia, I, they can do no wrong, because every album they've gotten softer and softer, and I just don't give a fuck because every album is better and better. But that got me into the idea of discovering new music, and you know, again, the fact that we're older kind of means that you you're talking about discovering stuff on Facebook. Like Facebook wasn't even a thing. I was getting stuff on Napster for a period of time. Don't count us out on Napster, man. That well, was like no, we were there for most Napster. of the shit I was downloading mm-hmm. on Napster. The best part was the, the the way people tag stuff on Napster. Half of it was if you like and a list of five bands, and you'd go, "Oh, that sounds interesting. Let me download that." And I remember thinking, "Like if you like Corn, download this." And I ended up with the first Snot album. Get some. So, I mean, since I would say since Napster, I've always I just I love finding something, anything. Mm-hmm. And that got me the the whole sorrow eternal thing just came because I love going onto sites and you know maybe that's what this whole thing really is about. It's like our musical journeys have been this maze, yeah. that's this it. you know mouse in a maze with so many different outcomes and so many different you know ways you go, and then you go back over those same ones that lead you to new places. And you well, could say that despite all our rage, we're still <laughs> we're still just a rat <laughs> in a maze. Well. But I think what Berto said is perfect because, you know, you were you know, Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor. Oh, let me go back and listen to Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Obviously, that seems to be what happens is that you go forward just so you can go backwards. Well, I was mm-hmm. reading that book and uh, Trent Reznor cites reading a screaming book. babies as a big influence. <laughs> I, I can hear that influence. Uh, he cites The Wall as one of his major influences mm. in like putting feelings and anger into music and making it something else. I mean, The Wall is really the first time that it had, I guess, overtly been done. Like, Roger Waters, at that show, people were paying money to see them build a fucking wall for the band to play behind because he hated them. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but if you follow the trail of influences, I I love Rollins' band, Henry Rollins, etc. He cites Nick Cave as one of his biggest influences. See, I don't know your feelings on Nick Cave. I don't have feelings on Nick Cave. I'm indifferent. Hmm. Murder Ballads is the one. I will say that um, apart from Nick Cave, I'm not a big fan of the other like stuff that was going on in that kind of post punk genre at the time. Would you call Nick, Harvey? Would you call Nick Cave post punk? So hard he's, to define. It's tough. Technically, he started out kind of in that. He's area, in that. And then he just his contemporaries would be like went Einstein totally elsewhere. Snowbound and 
Lydia Lunch and yeah. PJ Harvey and all that stuff. Oh, Lydia Lunch. One of my favorite, uh, this is a Nick Cave story that involves Nick Cave and Henry Rollins. And they were in Germany at a party. Oh, it's a German. And uh, Nick was like really fucked up apparently. And he was crawling around on the floor on like his hands and knees. And he's biting the ankles of like the guests of the party until they got kicked out. And he stole a wheel of cheese. <laughs> and then they're like driving on the Autobahn. And Nick rolls the window down and takes, he says, This is the symbol of my discontent. And he takes a big bite of the cheese and spits it out the window. <laughs> that was the year of the great cheese related pileup on the Autobahn. I remember I'd that. I say within the last five to six years, I really found Zappa. And that's fine. I'd that's... say I started listening to jazz in the last five years or so. I feel like jazz is a hurdle. There's some jazz I totally it's, like, but I, I don't know where to start. I don't know. It's just like the rest of music. Jazz is such a broad yeah. spectrum. I mean, you're literally talking about discovering an entire genre. But that's just it. If you talk to a lot of jazz musicians, they don't consider jazz a genre as much as they consider it like a frame lifestyle. of mind. It's yeah. a lifestyle. Yeah. Exactly. You're not, I don't play jazz music. This is, I am jazz. I would say that I've gotten more into blues in the last few years and a real interest in like early blues and early blues is the roots of roots of, yeah. everything. a lot of shit yeah mm-hmm. i mean it, it, every artist i've ever loved cites old blues music as the reason for starting to play well i mean the mm-hmm. beatles and the stones started out playing old blues tunes same with black sabbath and there's an entire episode of metalocalypse where death clock must learn the ways of the blues to be better metal musicians because all blues songs are about trains <laughs> <laughs> that's or the devil or the devil, send they write a song yep. about both. The murder train a coming. I tell you, the first time I heard Junior Wells' Hoodoo Man Blues, mm-hmm. that fucking record rocks. And I don't I can't actually say this is true, but a customer I was talking about this once told me that it was the first ever blues record that was recorded specifically to be put out. Like blues music hmm. before that had been recorded but not released. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first new blues record that hmm. was recorded hmm. in 57. That sounds 58. feasible. That yeah, sounds, it yeah. sounded believable yeah, yeah. to me. I don't know if it's true. But it's kind of funny because when you were younger and you're getting into Nirvana, who would have thought that 10 years later you'd be listening to the blues or Pink Floyd? Today or... I literally listened to music that I thought was shit when I was 15. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I, now I can go back and listen, you know, talk about things I listened to when I was 15. I'm like that was shit. That was Limp Biscuit. <laughs> that was Limp Biscuit. Weezer. I was into Lincoln Park for a little while. Ever? I mean, is there anyone yeah. here who didn't have even a? Sh- you didn't have a Lincoln Park Did phase. Did not give a fuck. You were never Lincoln Park. He's like ten years older than me. I'm. The, yeah, but I'm his age, and I had a Lincoln Park phase. I fucking. I I was one right step closer to the edge. I was about to break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I don't know why. For some reason, they just. I just was not interested whatsoever. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure I know a Lincoln Park song. I'm sure you do. But I have I never owned a record or anything. Record, I enjoy the mashup thing with Jay Z, though. I had friends listen to it, like in cars in high school. It was catchy. I feel like uh, Linkin Park is a period piece. Like you yeah. had to be around in a very specific time, and if you didn't, then it's just like it's already gone. Right. I saw the yeah. concert with um, was Linkin Park, Stained, and Stone Temple Pilots. It was Family Values tour. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I went for Linkin Park, but left in love with Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I saw that tour that year, too, and Stone Temple Pilots' Scott Weiland came out naked, wrapped in an American flag. He left naked in an American yeah, flag at yeah, the show. Yeah, like, he got naked out, out of the encore. I always kind of thought Stone Temple Pilots was a little too close to the Alice in Chains thing. You know what's funny? I always Scott Stapp. I had always kind of considered <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots to be like a second ring band, like a, like a second tier band. And then uh, 
it was seeing them live. Like Scott Weiland is one of the best front men I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, totally. okay. He's amazing on stage. And, and now they're fronted by Chester Bennington. Are they Yay. still technically? Like are they, they still supposed doing to that? release a full album? They did. Didn't they? No, they had an EP. Oh. They're supposed to release a full album and Scott Weiland says he's looking for a reunion with Velvet Revolver. But you're you're right in that it's a period piece because you can't go back and look at rap rock music and go, yeah. this translates well to the year 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Stained. Look at that dude. He's like making country records. He's, he's a yeah. huge country star now. Look, Darius Rucker left Hootie. And Hootie. Hootie. Hootie always had kind of a country-ish vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stained did not. No, Stained did not. I remember Stained. being a douchey teenager and being angry that people were like really into that Behind Blue Eyes Limbisca cover. And then be like, but this is a cover. Nobody knows this is a fucking cover. Angst. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sounds like we were all angsty at some point. Yeah. Uh, everybody was, man. Mm-hmm. I'm going through puberty and I don't understand. Limp Biscuit. Limp So this was a lot of information. This is this is honestly it's interesting. I like knowing about like our pasts and our and our histories and what made us who we are, both as people and musically. I think we've given people enough to uh sift through, to judge us by to choke us. Yeah. And give us yours. Please, yeah, yeah. We yeah. want to know what your turning points were. Are we going to do a code this week? Yeah, we need a discount for the people, the good people. What do you want to do? It's got. To, it should be something. Uh... Bring a pie for Birdo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Was it a table talk pie? It was pie? a table talk pie. What kind of table talk pie? It was some sort of cream-based one. Was it like the, they, they they make a Boston cream table? It might talk. have been Boston cream. We, That's uh, my favorite one. There it is. Boston cream pie is the coupon code. Boston cream pie? Okay. You say Boston cream pie? Don't Google search that, though, because that might <laughs> that might turn out really badly. Well, on that note, thanks for listening. I'm JB. I'm Berto. JJ. Still Lionel Richie. And uh, this has been the Dark Side Podcast. Thanks. Send us your lists. Thank you. Show us your tits. <laughs> <laughs>